0: caribbean thought guys yes, welcome to our uh, caribbean yes, thought let is this lecture yes, seven or six i wasn't sure yes, i put lecture I seven but i wasn't sure if it were if it were a lecture um lecture seven but um probably it is i haven't posted the lecture that we did on monday as yet i will do so between today and tomorrow um i probably And this lecture tonight, I won't publish this one until probably tomorrow either. But I'm going to do, publish the one that we did, 7 I will release that one. The problem with it is that I recorded, the recording was on the local computer, I think. No, no, I actually have a link to it. So, Um, But I'll publish that one soon. Uh, Chantel is helping me with the transcript. So once the transcript is done, I'm going to put all the transcript together, summarize it into a, summarize the, all the lectures we've had in one document probably a 10-page document and send it to you guys and you guys will have it so the entire lectures that we've done we have the transcripts we summarize we will she, what she's helping me with putting the transcripts together then i summarize them I summarize it into a major presentation 10-page document and I'll send that to you guys but um but today's lecture is entitled independence and democracy in the caribbean independence and democracy in the Caribbean. And I um, and I said Haiti, a case study. Haiti as a case study. And today we have a guest presenter. The guest presenter is Brian Kankainen, who is the executive director uh, for the Institute of Justice and Democracy in Haiti. He is also a human rights attorney, um, and he is a guru on hate on haitian issues and haitian democracy and this fight for justice um i mentioned him in the last i talked about him briefly in the last class so you guys are familiar with um a bit about brian kankainen but he has worked he worked um he d- did some humanitarian work before in haiti in the ninth i think it was in the 2000s between i think it was 2000 2001 when Jean Ber- john Jean Bertrand, Bertrand Aristide was president. And, um, and he has also worked with him on the case against France as it relates to the debt that now they're trying to recoup the money that they paid to, um, to France. So, we are, so he's going to be here with and um, he's worked with the United Nations, I believe. So he's going to be here with us. Um,
1: Minimize this.
0: Oops. Good, bring this up here, this is in the way. Now the details of the lecture today, of course, we are at the Jamaica Theological Seminary. I'm your professor or your adjunct lecturer in Caribbean thought. And um, again, our guest presenter, Brian Conklinan, human rights attorney and executive director of the Institute for Justice and Democracy in Haiti. In Haiti, in Haiti. And of course, today's date is June 28th, 2023. Now, today, before we get, before uh, Mr. Kankainen comes to us, we will provide a background on the context, the background and or context on Haiti's situation and the crisis and the need for Caribbean and international support to restore democracy. Now, the format of today's lecture will of course involve an introduction and welcome by yours truly. And then afterwards, which we we will go into um into providing several articles that um, that will help us that will provide we will provide se- summaries of several of four articles, very in- summaries of four articles, um, which provide background context on Haiti situation and crisis. Um, they, they were pro- they were provided to me by Mr. John Con- Mr. Brian Concanan. Some of, the le- some of the articles, one article was written by him. One was written by Miss Maxine, who, is, who was a government official here in Jamaica. And two was written by Mr. John Maxwell. Um, Mr. John, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Mr. John Maxwell, but um, Mr. John Maxwell was an intellectual, academic, um, social activist, professor at UAE, um, critical thinker, um, so now, after we do the summary we will of the articles that provide background and context, we will have the presentation by Mr. Brian Kankainen. Um, after he presents, he will, we, um, we will have an open discussion and a question and answer session with the audience yourself. Afterwards, we will have a conclusion and closing remarks by yours truly and one of the students from the class the head of the class, Dane, or his designate will provide the vote of thanks. And then, of course, prayer and the end. So that will be the format for today. Now, as we get ready to discuss the Haiti situation and its importance to to the Caribbean, to Caribbean thought and to to the Caribbean context
2: Hmm? and- I know, come and see it, I know, Sorry, sir. Sorry, I'm sorry.
0: As we get ready to discuss the Haiti situation and its importance to Caribbean thought, post-colonialism, independence, justice, and democracy, here are four distinct articles that provide useful context, including two from my friend, Brian Kankainen, and two from John Maxwell. Now, article one is entitled Haiti's Recent Elections a struggle for democracy and I'm providing a summary. Now this was written some time ago. I don't have the date, I will provide it. I actually have the actual articles, but this is a dated article. Um, I believe this was in in 2000 and something. I'll I'll give you the date shortly. I thought I had the dates here. It was remiss of me for not including it here on this presentation. But the first article is entitled "Haiti's Recent Elections: A Struggle for Democracy and Summ- a-, a Struggle for Democracy," and this is a summary of the of the letter. Now, this article focuses on the recent elections in Haiti, highlighting the protests against ballot fraud. You know what? Um, let me pause sharing my screen because, um, okay, I need to um provide you with uh, I, it's remiss of me by. This is it's very important that I provide you with um, the background, the date of it for this. I'm not sure why you, you why it was not included. The first one I have the I'm going to give you the links to these summaries, but just for this class, I provided you with a summary. But I have all the links here. Um, this one is from okay from um, the essay the the anti buckman lead by john maxwell is this is it the okay yeah The um the anti buckman lead by john let me see when this was written why do i not have it um it was copyright 2004 so so this is the elections in 2004 and it's max Maxine, but this was copyrighted in 2004. So this letter was, so this article relates to some, the elections in Haiti in 2004. Um, and let me bring the screen back up here. And there we go. And let me share it. So this is, in, this is 2004. Hold on a second. So this is the first article. um, And this was about the elections in Haiti in 2004. uh, The article focuses on the recent elections in Haiti, highlighting the protests against ballot fraud. It emphasizes the significance of the peaceful uprising. Notice the peaceful uprising by the Haitian people to establish the victory of René Préval, René Preval, despite numerous challenges faced during the election process. The article expresses criticism towards the governments of Jamaica, Trinidad, the Bahamas, Barbados, and Caricom for their involvement with the government of Haiti. Um, The author accuses them of cowardice and treachery for engaging with what, and um, for in, and for engaging with what they consider a criminal conspiracy, a criminal conspiracy. The article highlights the historical significance of the Haitian Revolution and the betrayal of its ideals by the Jamaican government. So this puts into perspective the need for, the, when you think about the petition that we're doing, it puts it into perspective. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's quite interesting that, um, that when you read this, in fact, let me read a little bit of the letter for you. Um, it says, um, it's from D. Hesse, the anti League by John Maxwell. By John Maxwell. So it's written by John Maxwell. The gang now running Haiti seem to have tired of their democracy game. The charade is over. They seem to say we can now display our true colors because we know that the most important members of CARICOM are going to recognize us and legitimize us. In the slaughterhouse that is Haiti, there aren't too many people to protest against the proposed of the governments of Jamaica, Trinidad, the Bahamas, Barbados, the bureaucrats of CARICOM. So, you know, so, so, in two, so you know, the juggernauts of CARICOM, even within the region, there are some juggernauts, the top countries of CARICOM, Jamaica, Trinidad, Bahamas, Barbados, the bureaucrats of CARICOM to engage the criminal conspiracy, which calls itself the government of Haiti. I wrote a little song for them. The press is, the press is squared. PJs Square, P.J. Patterson, PJs prepared. It's time to end our masquerade. Treacherous and cowardly in deciding to engage with Haiti, the Jamaican government, as I see it, is guilty of unspeakable cowardice and treachery. The more we vote in, because we could see it coming months ago, as I warned in, in this column, Merceres Patterson and K.D. Knight, K.D. Knight was the former Minister of Justice once held in their hands a large portion of whatever hope for justice the Haitian people may have had. That hope was signed signed this week. In the same week that the Haitians should have been celebrating the spark that lit the fire of their independence, their close friends and relatives silently, stealthily, we're preparing to make a zombie out of the Haitian autonomy, independence, and hope for justice, or hope of justice. Boakaiman celebrates the occasion on August 14, 1791. 213 years ago, when the Jamaican when the Jamaican-escaped slave, Bookman, Dottie Bookman, presided at a meeting to plan the rebellion against the French. That was in 1791 at the place called Wakaiman, Crocodile Forest. Delegates from all over the north of Haiti pledged to throw off their chains and throw the, and throw the French out of Haiti forever. Bokman is said to have invoked the god of the Africans, who he said takes us by the arm and guides us. He will give us ass- assistance, throw away the white god's image, who is Thirsting for the water in our eyes. Listen to the call of freedom in our hearts. And Bookman was a voodoo priest who came from Jamaica to and went all, escaped from Jamaica, came from Zemikambi, went from there, Gambia, went from there to as a slave to Jamaica and escaped from Jamaica to to, to to Haiti. Probably he left Obia in He didn't finish fully. My estimation is that he didn't fully formulate voodoo, the voodoo religion in Jamaica. And when he escaped, those who, um, who, who, who continued the practice, um, developed that into a kind of phobia that was that almost resembled the voodoo. But that went from, but that went from, So he went to to the Haiti, and um, and he talks about the fact that throwing away the white god's image. But you know he had religion. And he said, throwing away the white god's image, who is thirsting for the water in our eyes. The delegates returned to their plantations on the day, August 22, 1791. The orders discussed and adopted on the night of August 14 were implemented. Thus started the great saga that culminated in the independence of the first black nation in our hemisphere. So it started with Bookman in 1791. Bookman, who is from Jamaica. And, and uh, who, who came from Jamaica escaped. Bookman was killed in November 1791 in a in a French counter, um, counter offensive. His severed severed head was exposed with this caption with, with this caption, head of Bookman, the rebel leader. There is controversy about whether Bookman was a um, voodoo priest, obeah man, or a literate Muslim. In a monograph, Max Manigat reports, it has been said that he had been given the name Bookman, as was the custom in the English colonies of the Caribbean in the case of many slaves who knew how to read the Quran. So there are many slaves, oh, this is, uh, you know, they, we talk about Caribbean theology. This is very important, talking about Caribbean theology the, b- because we, th- we said that Bookman was a voodoo priest. And I say to you, but in Jamaica, there's Obia. The, could he, because many people say, well, maybe he was an Obia man. Maybe he, so, but we, what we know, so, so it could be that he, one of those who brought Obia to Jamaica was Bookman, but it wasn't developed. But what we're hearing, many said that he he knew the Quran. And, um, and at the custom in English colonies of the, of the Caribbean, in the case of many slaves, Many of them knew how to read the Quran. So many slaves brought the Muslim religion or many slaves, and we, we never thought about that. The connections that many slaves had, African slaves had with, we, we talk about um, ancestral religion, but what about other religions that resembled Muslim or Jewish or Christianity? Okay. Anyways, the only facts that we that we are well established. That we established about Bookman. Uh, that he was a Jamaican and a very and he was very tall, big man, enormous with of enormous strength. According to Max Manigat, Bookman gave the kickoff. Others followed, whose names now belong to universal history. And slowly but inexorably, from 1791 until 1803, the Triple Haitian Revolution anti-slavery, anti-colonial and social of the wretched of the earth of saint domingue um, triumphed and became a reality. And notice how in this article, it, it, it talks about wretched of the earth. That, that's Frantz Fanon. That's Frantz Fanon. And by the way, when you think about diverse currents in the Caribbean, John Maxwell is much a part of that. And here he is, Talking about the important, talking about Caribbean theology and African spirits and so on, and our connection with not just or and Voodoo, but even with the Quran and Muslim traditions, which in a sense seem to have escaped much of the English colonies as the English colonies tried um, was becoming assimilated or transformed or evolved into that English in an English kind identity with. English religion, stripping away anything that was that we brought over from that African heritage or anything native or anything native to the land to the to to to, to the land to um to the West Indies. But this is quite so this is quite powerful. It It is a raw and savage irony that Bookman's compatriots in Jamaica should now be about to betray Bookman here in Haiti. Jamaica's Prime Minister, Mr. Patterson, made his intentions clear even before President Aristide arrived in Jamaica in April. I read between the lines then, but I was told that I was being alarmist. We should praise Mr. Patterson, I was told, instead of attacking him. This is what the Prime Minister said at the time. I want to emphasize that Mr. Aristide is not seeking political asylum in Jamaica. His stay in Jamaica is not expected to be in excess of eight to 10 weeks. He is engaged in finalizing arrangements for permanent residents outside of the region. And this was due to a fact, this is due to the, where, this is due to an issue where in 2000, between 2001, 2004, jean Bertrand Aristide was trying to, again, put a legal claim against France, put together a legal claim against France to recoup money. The debt that was paid to France, they, he was trying to get it back. And so there are those who were trying to put a stop to it in, in the, post-industrial, in the post-industrial, post-industrial countries. And so they, there was an attempt to abduct, probably to assassinate um, Mr., 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 um, Mr., Mr., Mr. Aristide. But, but um, I think, but in a sense, um, so what Mr. Maxwell is charging the government for is not to participate participate in any abduction, not to not not to side with post-industrial countries or with the U.S. and in 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 um destroying Haiti's democracy. So the article goes on to say, I want to emphasize that Mr. Aristide is not seeking political asylum in Jamaica. His stay in Jamaica is not expected to be in excess of eight to 10 weeks. He is engaged in finalizing arrangements for permanent residents outside of the region. Event um, Caricom remains committed to the goal of restoring and nurturing democracy in its newest member of state. The newest member state, as well as the social and economic development of the people of Haiti it was not true that President Aristide was finalizing arrangements for permanent residents outside of the region. Note again, it was not true that President Aristide was finalizing arrangements for permanent residents outside of the region. Aristide regards himself and, his, and is still prepared by most Haitians, by South Africa and other nations as the only legitimate president of Haiti. And neither Mr. Patterson nor Mr. Knight No other U.S. State Department can change that. If Jamaica were to obey international law, the question would not even arise. But Patterson and Knight, a couple of years ago, followed the example of North Korea and and, uh, resigned from the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, Optional Protocol on Civil and Political Rights. With that track record, we can hardly expect them to take a principled view of the Haitian affair. The mask is off, the mask is on. The mask is off, the masque is on, Masca- masquerade. In Haiti, in the same week of Bakayiman, the so-called government of Haiti stepped stage an elaborate masquerade as part of its continuing effort to to rehabilitate the noisome collection of murderous drug-dealing bandits who gave certain foreigners an excuse to intervene, to depose, to depose Aristide in order to save his life and to prevent a bloodbath. While the world press press is busy spreading flim-flam about Aristide resigning amid a popular revolt, it should be remembered that the popular revolutionaries were able to enter Port-au-Prince only under the auspices of foreign troops. While they had employed their brand new military-issued issue m sixteen to terrorize and murder unarmed policemen in Gonaves. they were unable to take Port-au-Prince, fearing that the so-called Shimmeris, who supported Aristides' family Lavalas, were waiting to greet them with their ancient muskets and soul force. Foreign intervention made it possible for Louis Jodel Chamblain and various other criminal um, gunslingers, gunslingers to enter Port-au-Prince without challenges. And it goes on, it's a very long, and it goes on and on and on. I am going to stop there because my intention was not to read the, and my intention was to summarize it, but that's the, the gist of the article. Um, so I was so the so that was the first article. So the article expresses criticism towards the government of Jamaica, Trinidad, the Bahamas, Barbados, and Caricom for their involvement with the government of Haiti. John Maxwell accuses them of cowardice and treachery, cowardice and treachery for engaging with what they consider a criminal conspiracy with foreign governments. The article highlights the historical significance of the Haitian revolution and the betrayal of its ideals by the Jamaican government. It also mentions the controversial trial and acquittal of Jackson, um, Jonas and, and Jodel Chamberlain, notorious Haitian rights abusers. The author questions, or John Maxwell questions the legitimacy of the trial and criticizes the interim Haitian government's human rights record. The article concludes by mentioning the recent political development in Venezuela and Iraq, as well as the efforts of some Caribbean leaders to prevent the certification of the Haitian regime. Now, the second article ch- entitled Challenges to Democracy in Haiti, Manipulation and Misconduct and the article authored by Brian Concannon analyzes the attempts made to undermine Rene Préval's victory in the elections it sheds light on the electoral council's manipulation of the ballot count and engagement in misconduct leading to international discussions about the need to restore democracy in Haiti and i believe this was in sometime in 2007 the open letter dated July 8 2019 was addressed to the secretary general of caricom Caribbean community and the heads of state of CARICOM, member countries, the letter expressed concerns over gross violations of human rights in Haiti, particularly in the areas, in the areas of La Saline, City Tokyo and City Vincent. The delegation led by US con, um, congressmen visited Haiti and received troubling reports of politically motivated attacks, killing and the burning of homes. The attacks were allegedly organized by Haitian political authorities to suppress protests against corruption and brutality. The letter called on CARICOM and the heads of government to urgently address these human rights violations and to meet with grassroots leaders and survivors and advocate for accountability. The letter also emphasized the need for free, fair and credible elections in Haiti and urge CARICOM to work with Haitian people to ensure democracy. Then there's another article entitled The The Resource Curse Impact on Haiti's Development. And the article exposes or explores the concept of the resource curse and its relevance to Haiti. It discusses how natural resource abundance can negatively impact developing nations join parallels with Haiti's challenges in achieving sustainable development and democracy. The article written by Brian and Jr. and Mario Joseph in 2007 discusses the visit of ben- Venezuela President Hugo Chavez to Haiti and the contrasting reception he received from the Haitian people compared to other Latin American figures, particularly those associated with the United Nations peacekeeping mission. The, uh, um, the authors, highlighted the popularity of Chavez among the Haitian population population, due to his stance against global power, inequalities, and his support for Haiti's fight for sovereignty. You know, I mean, what's going on here? You, you, CLR James talked about like, um, Cuba and Fidel Castro. I know here it is that um, uh, 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 Hugo Chavez from Venezuela, if you guys know of Hugo Chavez, um, the communist um, president from Venezuela visited um, Haiti and he was, he was well-received by the Haitians, seen as a comrade. Be, um, and, and, and of course, Hugo Chavez talked about um, the, the reception he received from the Haitian people compared to other Latin American figures, particularly those associated with the United Nations, peacekeeping, peacekeeping mission. And of course, Brian highlighted the, the popularity of Chavez among the Haitian population due to his stance against global power, inequalities, and his support for Haiti's fight for sovereignty. They also mentioned the tangible assistance Chavez provided to Haiti, such as oil, development aid, and collaboration with Cuban medical professionals. In contrast, the authors criticized the um, Minister's actions according um, accusing the mission the mission of accessing or sorry of excessive use of force and failing to address the root causes of violence and poverty in Haiti the root causes of violence and poverty in Haiti they argue that the Haitian people perceive the mission as an occupying force the peacekeeping the united nations peacekeep, peacekeeping force they argue that the haitian people perceive the peacekeeping force as an occupying force rather than a genuine peacekeeping mission the authors emphasize the historical relationship between haiti and latin american countries and it's not just haiti and you know and we talk haiti and latin america but not just haiti haiti latin american The west indies and the caribbean and the global south countries former colonized countries i'm going to extend that drawing parallels to the actions of simon bolivar and urge latin american countries to reconsider their involvement in the united nations peacekeeping mission and align themselves with the changing winds in the region you know because people would question whether the united the united nations excuse me are they about peacekeeping or are they really an intervention force and the final article entitled rebuilding haiti excuse me um i just i had belts just now i apologize um rebuilding haiti the role of international support rebuilding haiti The role, this is the last letter I will share before we take a break and we have Mr. Kankainen come on. I don't know what time it is. Please let me know when it's five minutes to the hour. Now, this article highlights the challenges faced by Haiti. And by the way, I wanted to compare the first letter that I just summarized and read a bit with this. this, Was it the second or the, the third one? The first letter with the third letter. What, and I wanted to do a contrast Um, what do you notice about these two letters, the first one and the third one? But in fact, what do you notice about these four articles? Now, this last article highlights the challenges faced by Haiti. And this was written by Mr. John Maxwell, particularly from the Haitian elite. Particularly from the Haitian elite. We talk about elitism. We talk about race and ethnicity, so on and so forth. But Haiti has an elite. And of course, some time ago, I asked uh, Mr. Cash, Mr. Um, about the GDP. J- Haiti has a GDP. They have a GDP, and their GDP is higher than that of Jamaica when you look at it in a, in a in a terms of national, but per capita, of the population and the size, then they should have more GDP than what they currently have. But yet, still, they produce in Haiti, but there is but but majority of of their the profits where. Majority of it, they also have a high level of income inequality and poverty, meaning that there is an elite. But the article here highlights the challenges faced by Haiti, particularly from the Haitian elite, and emphasizes the need for genuine support from the international community and neighboring countries like Jamaica. It underscores the importance of rebuilding Haiti and empowering its true elite to foster democracy and justice. And when we talk, think about what's going on with Haiti and the PHDK and Ariel, the president, the current prime minister, the de facto prime minister, there is some amount of support that he's getting from the international community, from foreign, from from outsiders, those part of the post part of the Washington consensus of, of the neoliberal regime. He's getting, but he's getting local support from a particular from from from, 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 um, from the elites in Haiti. Now the article, this particular article discusses the recent elections in Haiti, and I think um, and highlights the protest against ballot fraud rather than the fraud itself. It emphasizes that what matters is not the winning candidate Rene preval, but the fact that the people peacefully stood up for their democracy. You the- I- Five minutes.. No. The author mentioned <laughs> Mr. Um, um I am I'm wrapping up. Let me see if Mr. Kunk- what time is it now, guys? Uh, what time is it? Let me read this final. Let me read this. Someone's mic is, uh, um, is open. But let me finish this um, letter real quickly. Um, the fact that the people peacefully stood up for their democracy. The author mentions Brian analysis stating that Pre- Preval, Rene Preval, was the clear choice of the Haitian people despite various challenges they faced during the election process. The electoral council manipulated the ballot, count and engage in misconduct to prevent Preval from winning outright. Although the council eventually acknowledged Preval's victory, it was seen as a result of changing the rules rather than addressing the rule violations. The article also discussed the concept of the resource curse, which refers to the negative impact of natural resource abundance on developing nations. It suggests that Haiti's resources primarily lie in its strategic location and its people but the country faces significant challenges, particularly from the Haitian elite, who prioritize their own interests over the well being of the nation. The article concludes by stating that Haiti needs genuine support, especially from countries like Jamaica, to rebuild its economy and reclaim its true elite who have been driven away by the current power structure. And, um, and that's those so I just shared with you four articles that provide some kind of brief background as to what's going on in Haiti. Each, I will share these, I will send the full article links to you guys where you guys can um, actually get a copy of it. Um, I'm going to stop sharing my screen. And now we will, it's now one minute before eight o'clock, Mr. Mr. Brian will, will join us. Just before he joins us, um, any question? And any question? Have you guys noticed any difference between the first um, any of these articles? Any 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 anything that comes to mind just before Mister Conkling comes out?
1: Anyone? Are you guys there?
0: Are you guys there? Well, sorry. You d- you still notice? Still
1: what?
0: Yes. What you notice about that first letter, um, that I read
1: earlier? What 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 have you guys noticed? What have you guys noticed about the first letter, the first um letter that I read? Let me um, K-On, go ahead. Let me bring it up real
0: quickly, um, so that you guys, let me go, let me share my screen again so you guys can see what I'm asking here. PowerPoint, bank. why do I have two presentations out here?
1: I'm not sure. Something. Hmm. Sure.
0: Um, the first article I shared said that the article expresses criticism towards the government of Jamaica, Trinidad, the Bahamas, Barbados, and Caricom, for their involvement with the government of Haiti. They accused them of cowardice and treachery for engaging with what they consider a criminal conspiracy. It highlights the historical significance of Haiti's revolution and the betrayal of its ideals by the Jamaican government. And then I go to... Um, let's go to the second one. The article written by Brian Jr. and Mario Joseph in 2000 discusses the visit of Venezuela's president, Hugo Chavez, Haiti and the contrasting reception he received from the Haitian people compared to other Latin American figures, particularly those associated with the United Nations peacekeeping mission. The authors highlight the, the popularity of Chavez among the Haitian population due to his stance against global power inequalities. Global power, inequalities, and his support for Haiti's fight for sovereignty. So... If I, I ask you, what do you notice about the first article that I read and this article, and, I, and your response would be what?
1: what? What is your response?
0: Anyone? I'm still waiting on, mis- I think Mr. Conkinen came on just now. Um, he might be on, uh, let me see. Brian is on, Brian is on. I will, welcome Brian. But let me see if the students can answer this question real quickly. Um, What do you notice about the first and the second? Remember the first one, I said, just before Mr. Brian comes on, the article expresses criticism towards the government of Jamaica, Trinidad, the Bahamas. Barbados and Caricom for their involvement with the government of Haiti. While this one, oops, look at this one. Hales um, discusses the visit of Venezuela President Hugo Chavez to Haiti uh, um, and the contrasting reception he received from the Haitian people compared to other Latin American countries, particularly those associated with the United Nations. They highlighted the popularity of Chavez So, what's the what any contract? What do you notice about these two based on what I've said so far?
1: Sir, good evening, sir. I believe, uh, as related to Jamaica and
3: Barbados involvement, uh, maybe 80 80 saw them as, as not supporting them rather than, uh, of in affiliation with United States, United State, while uh, Venezuela was more accepted uh, by Haiti.
0: Why? Why do you say that? And not Venezuela, the president of Venezuela, Hugo Chavez. Yes, why, why was he more, why was he, why in this article he seemed to have been more accepted by the Haitians? while the other article seemed to discredit the CARICOM? Um, actions.
2: Uh, I'm not sure, sir, but uh, maybe. Well, maybe yes, you're like,
0: sure. You just you actually mentioned I, it in the sense. It got um, okay. Uh, as
3: it related to support, uh, maybe eighty-eight was looking for, for support from from, from, from Caricom, and never really get that support, sir.
0: Notice, so. Mr. Mr. Kahn-Kahn and Mr. Joseph highlight the popularity of Chavez among the Haitian population. Due to his stance against global power. His stance, his stance, notice the first, the first one, and, and of course, power in it, um, uh, global power, inequities, inequalities, and his support for hate is what? Fight for their sovereignty. The first one was written by a Jamaican, actually, by someone in the Caribbean. And it, Provide, and even the letter before, the one that talks about KD Knight and Mr. PJ Patterson, it, it talks about them. It also paints a picture of their stance as being one that was cowardice. Yes? Cowardice as against, the uh, cowardice in the fight for justice, for sovereignty. Uh, and it talks about betrayal. But, Hugo, um, but But look at Hugo Chavez, his fight. And then we talk about We played a video with C.L.R. James talking about Cuba, Fidel Castro and the Cubans in their revolution. They are not black, but their their revolution is West Indian. But it is as if the articles that I present to you, when you look at them, it, it paints a particular light. It's as if we are moving away. And I said to you in the recent class, when you look at the history of of these dynamic figures to in the, uh, in, in, uh, like Frantz Fanon, C.L.R. James, um, Walter Rodney, B. Maurice Bishop, so on and so forth. you find There was something that connects them. They were connected in that fight, that West Indian fight for sovereignty, independence, nationalism. And they all were, they, see, they saw it was the fight, hate, um, it was as if they were all fighting together for one thing. But when Fast forward to today, and what's going on in Haiti today? It the John Maxwell and others are pointing out the importance of the I mean the the importance of that stance of of men, of continuing that spirit, that West Indian spirit, or that human rights spirit of nationalism and and and. And, and advocating for justice and fighting for each, not just being selfish, but also thinking about not just our own self, but for others in our stance. Because in this article, it seemed as if, there was, as if we are working backwards and working with external forces to penetrate and to sway and to to interfere in Haiti rather than fighting outsiders to ensure that Haiti's... Uh, um, independence
1: is protected.
0: And then of course we talk about being cowardice, but, but this is great, but it's a good background and I'll send these to you, but um, we ha- we're gonna stop here and we'll continue, but I'm gonna stop sharing my screen. Um, and I will go to the, uh, we are the, we are at the point where Brian Kahneman is the executive director and he's a human rights attorney for the Institute for Justice and Democracy. Um, he will update us on the IDHD and their work and um, what they're doing in terms of promoting ad, um, human rights and justice and bringing democracy, restoring democracy in Haiti. I said to you the last class, they have a petition on their front to the U.S. government. We have one working on um, petitioning the, car- the CARICOM. And we, it's great when we can, it's good to work like that. And, um, and of course, he, he tweeted or his organization tweeted something recently And I found it quite interesting that he said that one of the ways that post-industrial countries maintain, or two of the ways that post-industrial countries maintain their advantage is one, through debt. And he referenced Haiti. And that was a very, and it's very important. As we study Caribbean thought and post-colonialism, this is a very pivotal and vital issue. And the second thing is, and that's why it's important to study Haiti when we study post-colonialism and independence. And I said to you, Haiti, as a case study. And then secondly, the issue of foreign interference. The issue of foreign interference. So we will have him now with us. And um, and uh, I will stop sharing my screen. And mister Con- Mister Kahn-Kahn, welcome to Caribbean Thought. It's great to have you. Welcome back. Uh, yes, your you're mic.
4: Okay, sorry about that. Uh, it's great to be back with you, and I really appreciate you Yes. Uh, Ronaldo, uh inviting me back into uh, all the other participants for for having me.
0: Definitely, definitely. And um, we're so happy to have you. I was, I was giving them some background. I, shared, I summarized and shared the four letters quickly. And um, I noted some contrasting themes, which was quite powerful to work with. And so I will give you an, an, opportunity, an opportunity to share and to present what's going on with the ISP i what you've been up to with the work, what's going on in Haiti, and with Ariel and the PhD, there's been quite a, a few, some violence lately, and uh, probably you could give us some, tell us some in terms of what's going on there, and then, um, of course, there and two things that I pointed out earlier, which I would love for you to explore, and then the class would have a chance to ask you some questions. The floor is yours, sir.
4: Okay, well, let me start with kind of updating what we talked about last time I was on. And one of the things we talked about was, was Haiti's reparation, restitution claim, which, yes. as we discussed, comes out of the fact that Haiti was forced to pay France compensation for its freedom, which it had won on the battlefield. But the whole world got together, and the whole world being powerful countries that had built their power on slavery... And they all refused to recognize Haiti, and the only way that Haiti could get recognition and be allowed entrance into the world economy was to pay off France. Um, and and France, Haiti ended up not um, having to borrow money from French banks to do it. It it was it paid those loans off from 1823 until 1947, and during that. Uh, 125 years 124 years Haiti really s- had to put everything in its economy into paying off that loan so instead of building schools and hospitals and roads and industry and government infrastructure Haiti put all its money into growing export agri- into export agriculture where it could get the uh the hard currency it needed to um it to to pay off the loan and to a large extent Haiti's Current the current crisis that we see today in the news with a weak state, deep poverty, um, that is the direct result of um, of the French independence debt. And another thing that we talked about when I was last with you, but that I think has been become more apparent, is that Haiti's underdevelopment is not an unintended side effect of the French debt. Haiti's current weakness. And Jamaica's relative weakness compared to, 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 to um, compared to European countries, for example, is the intended consequence of a whole range of policies. And as you mentioned in, in the introduction, uh, those include debt, international financial institutions, it includes migration policy. It includes, you know support or lack of support for, for democratic structures. It, it, it includes um, interfering in, in, in internal affairs of poor countries. And all of that is designed to keep countries like Haiti and Jamaica underdeveloped and weak. And the reason for that, and this is not an irrational policy, and this, is, this has always been a rational policy. It's always been white supremacist and deplorable, but it has also always been, been, been rational. I mean, the whole point is to keep countries like Haiti down, so that there's less competition, and that is what is what allows the current international world order, which at least in the Americas is still based on slavery. I mean, the countries that have power in this hemisphere, you know, the United States, France, Britain, they have that power because they got um, they they got power through slavery, and they've maintained that power through. Uh, continued um, exploitation of, of other countries. Um, and so we've been talking a lot about that. One of the places we talked about it that I think will be really, uh, you'll find interesting, was at the um, Permanent Forum of, on People of, American, of African Descent. Sorry, let me say that again. It's the Permanent Forum on Peoples of African Descent. Which is a um, a forum that was established uh, at the United Nations, uh, coming out of the um, out of the 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 global conference against racism in two thousand three, I think it was, uh, in Durban, South Africa, and and ever since then, um, groups of people of African descent have been pushing the United Nations to say, "Hey, we need our own thing," and. Um, United Nations has set it up, and the first session of the permanent forum was in Geneva in December. The second one was in May in in New York, um, and it was. Um, you know, I'm. Oh, well, I was going to say I'm not of African descent. I mean, all humans are of African descent, but you know, <laughs> yes. I, I haven't. I can't say I've suffered from from slavery. Uh, you know, my my ancestors were Irish, so we suffered from a different kind of imperialism, but you know, yes. definitely not not slavery. Um and but I, I was there really to support my colleague Mario Joseph who you mentioned co-wrote that article with me and um, he's a he's a Haitian human rights lawyer and I was there to translate and make sure you know that he was able to to get his work his work done and it was it was really exciting because you just you had people from all over all over the world um, you know the Africa of course was was well represented Uh, The Caribbean was very well represented and North America and Europe were all were all well represented Uh, and also South America, Asia. I mean, throughout the throughout the world, it was kind of exciting to hear people coming from everywhere. Um, And one of the things that we were talking about was this issue of Haiti's restitution and, and that Haiti the other thing that we talked about in, in the class last last time um, is that it's kind of the sequel to the restitution was when in two thousand three Haiti asked for its money back. Uh, the the government made a claim. Uh, it didn't. It had not yet presented the claim in a court. It was preparing it for the International Court of Justice. But before Haiti could get that far and actually file its complaint with the International Court of Justice. France made sure it couldn't do it. So France, along with the United States, they deposed Haiti's president, Jean Bertrand Aristide, sent him to exile in the Central African Republic, then briefly Jamaica, then to South Africa for a while. But what they were trying to do, the reason why France and the U.S. made such an effort to overthrow a Haitian president was because Haiti had a very strong claim for restitution. They knew that if it got into the, into the Inter- International Court of Justice, it would be hard for France to duck it. And they felt that, that if Haiti got justice for its claim for restitution, that would open up the door for everybody. So everybody harmed by, by the slave trade, Africa, Caribbean, North America, Europe, they could all make claims for, for justice for the harms that, that their ancestors suffered. That would obviously be huge. Um, that would be transformational. It would allow countries like Jamaica and Haiti to catch up to the to the wealthy countries of Europe and and North America. Um, and that's something that those countries just couldn't afford to let happen. So just as in 1804, they could not allow an example, Haiti's example of a country of run by free black people to succeed. <clears throat> they couldn't allow in in 2004 they could not allow Haiti as an example of a country that was winning justice against powerful countries succeed. So they made sure that it didn't. And um, I was actually on today a uh, conference on, on Haiti's security crisis. it was a really, it was a good conference in that you had international you had experts from Haiti and all over the place. It was a bad conference in that they, they were talking about a very distressing situation. Um, and but that situation is a direct result of the overthrow of President Aristide in 2004. Haiti has never recovered the level of democracy that it had before the coup d'état. And again, this is intentional. Haiti has not recovered the level of democracy. It has also not made its claim for restitution. And so, and it was it 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 has been um, it's it's distressing that how to the extent that that. The international community has consistently supported the current Haitian government, even though it has the government, at least over the last 10 years, has really worked hard to dismantle democracy. Um, You know, just for some some quick highlights on that, Haiti does not have a single elected official in office. Gangs control anywhere from 50 to 90% of the capital. Uh, Half of all Haitians are, are facing hunger this year. Over 100,000 kids under five are facing chronic wasting from hunger. That's how bad things are in in Haiti. Uh, And and this is a direct result of a government stealing money and dismantling democracy, always with the support of the international community. There's a You know, there's a UN human rights mission in Haiti or UN justice mission in Haiti that keeps giving glowing reports of how the government is trying to establish democracy. What, even though each report, there's demonstrably less democracy. Uh, There's one thing, I actually saw this, I tweeted, this was, this was actually, you know, you couldn't, um, you couldn't even make this up as a parody. The International Monetary Fund issued a report saying how proud they were of supporting the Haitian government to, I, I don't have the quote exactly right, but it was to increase the, the, the stability of democracy and increased um, macroeconomic stability in Haiti. They increased macroeconomic stability when 115,000 kids are wasting from hunger. Inflation's okay. over 20%. And that's what they consider... Uh, um, economic stability, um, and it's only because the government is not, their idea of economic stability is a country that is not destabilizing the economies of wealthy countries by demanding justice.
0: This is powerful. Thank this is a. This is powerful. I'm so happy. You know, I have a, just before, so you said that there is, uh, just before I asked the students, you said that there was a conference today, it was bad because they were talking about um, the overthrow of um, Aristide, and since then they have not recovered.
4: Yeah, well, the conference today was about Haiti's security crisis. And so people were talking about how bad it is. Um, They weren't actually, today they weren't, you know, and and that was kind of my role there. People weren't talking about how that this was the result of the 2004 coup d'etat, in part, you know, I talked to actually when the conference organizers invited me, I said, I'm going to talk about this stuff. I'm going to say that this is the government dismantling democracy. And this is that with the international community support. And the organizers said, you know, and I thought they might push back and ask me to be diplomatic. And they said, say exactly that. And they say no one else is going to say it. They say, you know, we're living in Haiti. We can get killed if we say that or other people are working for the World Bank or want to work for the World Bank or want to work for the U.S. government. They said that no one else is going to say what you're saying, but everybody's going to agree with you. And that's exactly what happened. You know, in the comments section, everybody said, yeah, that's the truth. That's the truth. That, that's the truth. Um, and but no one else was able to say that. And, you know, and I have substantial privilege, you know, as a white person, as a lawyer living in the United States, I'm not living in Haiti. Um, and, and I was able to say those things, but it's remarkable that most of the people weren't able to. They were able to talk about the symptoms, but they weren't able to talk about the real causes of the problem, which is uh, the international community propping up a corrupt, repressive government.
0: Okay, this is powerful. I have so many questions in terms of the international community, as against the CAR- CARICOM as part of that international community, which is more regional and we at once we know that Haiti was was became uh, a member state of CARICOM Uh, when was that 2019 I don't remember when was that Uh, no
4: no they remember before that I think it was like 2002 when they first actually 2003
0: 2002 yes correct but um, I'm not sure what's going on now in terms of uh, what is CARICOM saying what is CARICOM's position I know some of the students may have some risk comment on that but before we get into that it's quite in- interesting. You said that um, the international community support, it seems to be supporting the de facto government, Ariel. But you look at what happened many years ago. The international community seemed to not have been supporting Aristide.
4: Oh, well, they kidnapped yep. him. And they literally but, forced him on a U.S. plane and made him
0: leave. Well, it's quite um, interesting that they, they're quick to support um, Ariel but not support Aristide. Is it because of this debt
4: issue? It's beca- I mean, that's part of it. Aristide was generally asking for justice, so he would go to the United Nations and make a talk, connecting poverty in countries like Haiti and Jamaica with the international uh, economic structure, and and it was things like that that they couldn't accept happening. Um, you know, really, is ideas. You know, a lot of time, you know, in the United States, especially where where where. Um, we're taught to look for kind of motives like oil or someone's posing some kind of a, a, a military threat to our interests. But that wasn't the case in Haiti at all. It really was ideas that were deeply dangerous. I mean, if Haiti was allowed to talk at the UN and say that the international economic order is unjust, then other people would do it. And pretty soon, I mean, if you look at the membership of the UN, the... the um, You know, the the, the wealthy countries, especially Western Europe and and, in North America, they're a a small percentage of the countries. They wield, wield, you know, and the U.N. talks a lot about democracy, but it's an incredibly undemocratic place. Uh, Just one example is the U.N. Security Council, which is the most powerful entity in the U.N. Security Council uh, in the U.N. is the Security Council. There are five permanent members and they're the ones who basically have all the power. The five permanent members are China, Russia, France, Great Britain and the United States. And so if you just take France, Great Britain and the United States, they have three of the five votes on the Security Council. So a majority, they have 60 percent of the votes of the permanent votes on the Security Council. That's an incredible access of power, especially because they agree on everything, on most things, and they vote together. So they have this sort of automatic majority in the Security Council, which is the most powerful part of the UN. They have less than 6% of the world's population, but yeah. 60% of the power on the Security Council. Um, and that's just an example of, 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 of sort of the international injustice, and Aristide would point those things out. Uh, and, and that was just not allowed to be um, to, to happen in places like the UN or in Haiti, and so they said, you know, so the US was more of that—the idea of that. But France, and this was, this was, uh, you know, this isn't just me saying it. In the, in, we talked uh, last time about the New York Times did a series on on Haiti's Independence Day, and they actually got the former French ambassador to admit this. He said, "Yeah, that's why we pushed him out. We pushed Aristide out because he's making that claim." Uh, you know, amazingly honest for him to say that. But uh, okay. very talented. and
0: that, and um, and by the way, let me just the students. We're going to be talking about we're going to be defining neoliberalism, neoliberal globalization, um, neo capitalism. It's very important that we define that because we're also talking about what kind of economic system we have in Jamaica or the Caribbean. We talk about dependent capitalism, but Mister Kane can K- 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 made a very important point. He talked about. Um, the United Nations, the security council, and the issue of bureaucracy, so to speak. The bureaucracy within the system and how the Caribbean is as part of that bureaucracy. And I talk about in the 1960s, the 70s, as we speak towards independence, we are met with this bureaucracy. Of course, the federation that we should have had left us, but now we had the CARICOM. But of course, right now, there is, we are asking CARICOM there is a petition that we are doing. And by the way, the CARICOM that we developed, we want to thank Mr. Concainen for helping me because you helped us write that um that um that petition. So just so you know, he and he's a human rights attorney and he helped us with the legal language and so on. So we want to appreciate um Mr. Concainen for that. So uh, but the so the question is what's going on? The, we know that CARICOM, um there was there was there was a decision or there was Uh, the question of whether or not to send an an intervention force in the Caribbean. And we were petitioning against that and fighting against that. But I know CARICOM had met some time ago and their decision was not to send and they weren't support. They were not in support of sending an intervention force in. um, However, they were going to now and the U.S. backtracked a bit and said, no, they're going to send a, a peacekeeping force. Do you know what's going on with that so far?
4: Yeah, so currently the U.S. is still trying to uh, get a peacekeeping force. Um, so far, the problem is is that the U.S. does not want they want a force to happen, but they don't want U.S. soldiers on the front lines. And so they've been trying since October to try to get other countries to to lead the force. And CARICOM has always been uh, sort of the first choice because they're Haiti's neighbors, and 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 part of it is that. Is, is for public relations. I mean, any force that comes into Haiti is going to, it's there to support, it'll be there to support a repressive government and it will be there to try to stop gang violence. Um, both of those tasks, repre- supporting the repressive government and, and going after gangs, will require the troops just the way that this is how troops respond to these kinds of things, to be shooting people, including innocent people, uh, shooting people who are not shooting back at them. Um, And and the U.S. does not like the optics of its soldiers, especially white soldiers, doing that dirty work. So what they're trying to do is is to recruit somebody, another country to do it where the optics, especially for the, at least for the U.S., are going to be much better. Uh, because if it's Jamaican troops shooting at, at, you know, poor Black men in the city's neighborhood, then, uh, you know, the U.S. is going to say, oh, no, that's not racist, they're Jamaicans. Um, and, and that's kind of what they're trying to do. Um, the, so far, Jamaica has um, you know, repeatedly and, and, and no unser- one, sorry, no, not Jamaica, CARICOM has repeatedly and in a no uncertain terms said, no, we're not going to do it. Um, at this point, I don't see that policy changing. There are a couple of countries. Um, I think Dominica is one. I think um, um, Barbados is one and, um, and uh, St. Vincent are all adamantly opposed to any military force. Um, And the statements that have come out of CARICOM have been saying, we don't think, we're not going to send a force until you have a political um, solution, which means they're not going to send troops to support a repressive, corrupt dictatorship, which is, of course, completely compliant with with international law. Um, Unfortunately, so that's CARICOM's position. Uh, And recently reaffirmed, I think two weeks ago, Following the, the 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 meeting in Jamaica about Haiti and a visit by by um, by right, yeah. the United States Vice President, um, the but Jamaica is still uh, including Prime Minister Holness. He's actually leading the charge within within CARICOM to to get CARICOM to deploy troops. So he Prime Minister Holness recently, I think within the last week, has yeah. has renewed his his expression of interest in participating in that force. Um, and so I think what's happening now is it's there's a battle the U.S is still trying to play trying to divide caricom kind of dividing conquer trying to separate countries that it that it perceives as as being supportive of, of intervention in Haiti um and trying to, to get them to prevail over the countries that are that are resisting it
0: um you know you talk about a political solution and when you think about caricom was established to to protect independent to promote democracy and um, that's when you have a kind of regional understanding between governments and I I know you indicated that CARICOM wants a more political solution and then the question is what does a political solution look like then of course it would look like have you have a political, political parties and people vying for power and so on and so forth but earlier you said that um, there was a rep- every time we get the report about Haiti the report has been about Mr, the de facto prime minister, Ariel, stealing money and dismantling democracy. So if we have a guy in place, if the solution is a political one, if the solution is to you know, promote and to de- plant the seeds for parties and for people to run and have choices and so on and so forth, just which is what the Haitians want. But you have a situation where the guy who is holding the front, uh, who is leading? That who's leading? It seems like that's not his intention. So, and he is more and more dismantling democracy because majority of the guys, majority of the other party, they are locked up in jail. So, I mean, what will get? What I mean, what is the, What do you know? What's happening in terms of political parties and this and so forth?
4: Yeah, um, people are locked up in jail. I mean, not all politicians, but enough are to keep to keep people uh, in line. Um, and people are being killed. Um, the, I mean the president was killed, and it's going to be he was killed, um, it'll be in about two weeks, it'll be two years, and not a single person has been formally charged in Haiti in his assassination. I'm let that sink in for a minute. A president assassinated. Two years later, nobody charged in Haiti. Um, and you know, in part because some of the evidence leads to the Prime minister. And um, and a lot of the evidence is that he was killed by, you know, some combination of his own political party and um, economic elites and, and drug traffickers, um, and that 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 so nobody wants to the powers that be don't want uncomfortable questions answered uh, in court, so they're just slow walking this and preventing anything from happening. But you know, you're absolutely right, that the current prime minister, so he's there, he was not chosen through any Haitian process. He was nominated by President Boer. He was not formally nominated, but two days before President Moise was killed, he picked him. He said, okay, I want him to be my next prime minister. But he had not started any formal procedures. Then he then he was killed. The, when he was killed, the, the existing prime minister, made him Claude Joseph. When President Luiz was killed, Claude Joseph kind of took over his head of state. He was the existing prime minister. But about a week and a half later, the international community issued an announcement changing, said, oh, no, we are recognizing Ariel Henry, not Claude Joseph, as prime minister. Wait, so oh, this is this is new. I
0: didn't get that. I didn't realize that what happened. So there was an ahead. But then the international community made the announcement who they want to lead.
4: Yep. It was a group, it's a it's an organization called or a group called the core group of countries, which includes um, I mean it's led by the United States. There's the, the EU is part of it, the OAS may be part of it, um, a couple of European countries, I think France and Spain, Canada is part of it, and a couple of of um of one or two Caribbean countries. I'm forgetting which ones it they are, but it's basically it's run by you know by powerful countries that got their power through slavery, um, and, and they just, they literally issued a, a, an announcement saying that, saying that none of them being Haitians, saying that uh, Ariel Henry gets to be prime minister of Haiti, and that is how he got made. So, he, he didn't come through any Haitian process. He's corrupt and repressive. He has no political support in Haiti, other than the people who are benefiting from his corruption and repression, um, deeply unpopular. The only reason he's there is that he's being propped up by the international community. And and the the you know, the United States and and you know the UN mission, everybody all keeps talking about, oh yeah, we need to move towards democracy. But they also say that's their line A. Line B says is, but Ariel Henry needs to be part of any solution. And once they insist that he's part of the solution, that ensures that there will be no solution because he has no incentive. Moving towards elections to him is, you know, is suicide. He's not gonna win. He and his party cannot win fair elections. And so if he has them, he's gonna lose, lose power, probably be prosecuted, um, and, and you know, his party will lose power. All his friends will lose power. They won't be able to steal money anymore. And so they have no incentive to go to elections. And as long as the United States and other countries are propping him up, that's one more day he gets to consolidate power, one more day he gets to steal money, repress his enemies. And and that's basically the dynamic that is happening is is that the international community is propping him up in a way that prevents Haitians from moving forward towards democracy. Ronaldo, I think you're muted. Missing your wisdom.
0: <laughs> any, it's quite interesting. Wow, wow. Um, I'm, and at that other piece, I didn't realize that there was a pra- interim prime minister who was overlooked by the international. And there was, you know, you said, this is quite just before I, the student, let me just repeat what you just said. Ariel, uh, the de facto president, did not come through any or go through any Haitian process. He's a corrupt. Person who serves the international community's interest—that's quite powerful. Class, any question for Mister um, for Mister Question?
1: Did, any question? You guys,
0: do I have any question for Mister Conkynan? What, what? Okay. What do you think? When, what are your reflections when you listen? When you hear the presentation? what are you th- what goes to mind in terms of, of what goes to mind in terms of independence and our own responsibility as caribbean members and what it is that we can do to bring about justice and democracy what what comes to mind what are you guys thinking about
2: all right um good evening
0: Good evening, let me see your faces guys
2: okay. Come on. all right no problem Okay, you're all seeing right. me now.
0: Yeah, man, let's okay. see. I want to see the class. <laughs> I am here right. um, to hear you guys and I need to see you guys. Yes, Susie. Go ahead.
2: All right. So um I have learned that um Mr. Kankonan is a lawyer, right? That's but right. then I at first, when I noticed that you were coming to the class, I tried to find out. Um a little about you, where are you from, and stuff like that, because I wanted to know why is it that you have a vested interest in Haiti and the democracy, of, the de- democracy of Haiti as well. You know, um, you said that your friend is a lawyer, and um, he is like he's the person who is advocating for the people of Haiti. So you are just there as mere support, is it?
4: Well, that's what, when we were at the the people, the permanent forum on peoples of African descent, because it was really for people of African descent to to okay. be talking.
2: Yeah. All right, Mister Ken my question to you: You're Irish. Yep. Um, you're yep. from Irish descent, but you you you're, you're you were born in the U.S. I was, yeah. Okay, so why is it that um, why is it that the the democracy of eighty um stands all for you why is it that you really want to help these people
4: yeah that's a great question Susie um you know I think I mean I think part of it is my heritage coming from Ireland which is a country that was that was treated you know unfairly and exploited by the British I think that that you know sort of just hearing stories growing up it made me gave me a, a sense of of injustice and the need to fight for injustice and and also, growing up in the United States, where you know I wasn't being exploited by Britain, and that that gave me privileges. I had the opportunity to to get an education, to go to law school, and I always felt that that as someone who was granted privileges, I had an obligation to use those privileges for people who were not granted the same privileges. And I, you know, I didn't start off my human rights career thinking I'd be doing Haiti forever. Um, Haiti was kind of, was, it was, I was looking to get into doing human rights work and Haiti was really the first job. I got a job through the, uh, as a volunteer in the UN volunteers program in Haiti. And I thought I'd stay for you know a year or two years and then go somewhere else. I mean, it's a, you know, it's a big, fascinating world. And there, there's lots of places, other places I've wanted to, to uh, go to, but, I went to Haiti in 1995, and here I am, 28 years later, still working on Haiti. And the reason for that is that, you know, I feel that, I mean, part of it's just personal. I've had the opportunity to work with with really inspiring um, people who are just absolutely, amazingly persistent and creative and thoughtful and intelligent human rights activists. Um, I've... And but it's also I think something that that um, it's been important to me as as someone from from the United States, um, which the United States for you know for at least the last hundred years has been a key part of keeping Haiti down. And I felt that you know someone has as a, as someone from the United States who's benefited from the U.S. exploitation of other countries that I had the. I had a calling to try to be part of, of um getting a more fair treatment by the world of Haiti. You know, Mr. Kankan, it,
2: it is good that you have a conscience, honestly, because even though you have not directly um afflicted these people, you know that you know that um you are. Um, a beneficiary of the state that has inflicted wounds on these people for quite some time. You know, when I was growing up as a child, um, in Jamaica here, um, during my childhood, the place to go was eighty. A lot of a lot of the igles they would go to eighty and buy things to come back and sell and stop. As I grow up, I realize that it is no more the place. And I wonder what is what has happened to 80's economy. Sorry. I wondered what has happened to 80's economy, you know. And um I see I, I I totally not heard anything of 80 for the longest of while. Believe me, if I had not come to this institution doing this course is as though the only thing you hear about 80 is when it's on the news when a disaster strikes there are things like those so it is very good to know that you know somebody has given thought to 80 because as i said when i was younger to want to go to 80 to come back and be an entrepreneur was an ambitious thing to do no, you don't want to go to 80 for any reason. Because um, when you think of 80, you think disaster, diseases and stuff like that. You know, so it is very good that somebody really thinks of them. But um, you mentioned 80 buying their, is it their independence that they had to buy back from France and the U.S., is it? And it was done with um loan that was borrowed from France. So um when you think about these kinds of loans, it's as though you will never be able to finish pay these debt off. So 80 is like what you would call them now, they, they're under um France's bandage, no matter what. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah.
4: No, that's very well said. That's You just explain Haitian history. You know, they're under bondage no matter what. Um,
2: yes. So who is it? Can we, can we envision or do we have a right to sit down and envision an empowered 80? Do you think that can come in the far or near future, seeing where things are at now? I mean, is that the, the better part of 80s economy is guns? You understand, I don't know where they get so much guns from. Jamaica is like um, a co-partner with it, where drugs and guns are concerned. And I wonder where Haiti get these guns from. The same energy that is used to produce these guns, maybe they could use it to do something to better themselves. You understand, instead of creating um, weaponry for destruction. You understand? So I'm asking now, can we tonight get the assurance that our Caribbean brothers and sisters one day will sing the song of victory again, that their economy can improve and they can live a better standard of life, you know, a more holistic standard of life?
4: So if you asked any Haitian, if my colleague Mario were here, almost any Haitian, you asked them, will Haitians someday, I think you said, sing the song of freedom? Is that your quote? Yes. They would say say very confidently, yes, because Haitians, they won't quit fighting. I mean, they beat Napoleon. Napoleon, one of the greatest military leaders in the history of the world, they beat him um, without help from anybody else. And so Haitians are going to keep fighting. They're going to win. They have amazing strength um, and persistence. The only, the, the, the question isn't, are they going to be able to sing the song of freedom again? The question is, what kind of a price are they going to pay and how long is that going to take? And what price they pay is to a large extent in the hands of those of us outside Haiti. And, you know, to me, that's my mission is to try to make my country willing to accept democracy and freedom in Haiti. And you know, Ronaldo talked about, about the petition that, that that your class is working on. That is another way of, of doing that. And we I think we can all, you know, we all have a role to play in supporting Haitian democracy. You know, you're from Jamaica, you're not going to change US policy. Um, but you can change um, you know you can impact Jamaican policy. And if, if if the Jamaican government knows that its citizens want it to stand by Haiti instead of the United States, then it's going to be more supportive of democracy in Haiti. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to um, ignore the fact that Jamaica is under a lot of. I mean, as all the countries in the Americas are, they're under a lot of pressure from the United States. And there's things that, you know, they if they do too much to support Haiti. I was
2: going to mention our level of dependability on the U.S. You understand? And the impact of standing for our Caribbean brothers and sisters would have on Jamaica's economy and a
4: whole. You yeah. understand? But yeah, exactly. yeah, and we can't forget that. But, you know, there are... And and, and here's an example. I mean, one of the things Ronaldo was talking about was when Haiti became a... Um, a CARICOM member, and I know it was before 2004, because in 2004, when there was a coup d'etat and President Aristide was, was kidnapped, the United Nations refused to try to do anything to prevent that kidnapping. The OAS actually has within its charter, a they have a, a thing called the Inter-American Democratic Charter that says, if any of our countries become not democratic, then we need to go through these procedures that lead to them being suspended. Caricom has the exact same language in its founding documents. The OAS never once even had a hearing to talk about any consequences for Haiti becoming undemocratic and its president being kidnapped. Caricom, right from the beginning said, we are going to stand up for our principles and we're not going to recognize the new government in Haiti because it's not democratic, and our charter says you need to be democratic, and you know it, it's incredibly uh, hypocritical for the OAS to do this because the OAS, a big part of what they do, is criticize Cuba for not being democratic. But here they they, they will allow Haiti to be undemocratic, but not not Cuba. Um, and and so in two thousand four, you know Caricom really did stand up. It was under a huge amount of pressure. I mean, I heard from Caribbean leaders stories about, you know, prime ministers and foreign ministers getting pulled out of bed at one in the morning. The U.S. would call them and say, you need to do this. And especially when when Aristide was in Jamaica for about six weeks after the coup, saying they were just calling top um, Jamaican leaders and saying, you've got to get him out of the hemisphere. And, you know, so totally understand. And, and, and the threat behind that would be we're going to put a travel warning on Jamaica. So, you know, we're going to really hurt your tourist industry. Um, and, and, you know, those are really serious threats and, you know, I see part of my job is trying to prevent my government from doing those kinds of things. Um, but it also, you know, Jamaica, uh, all of CARICOM found a way to resist that, you know, they weren't, they weren't issuing statements criticizing the, the, uh, you know, the U.S. for overthrowing the government. But what they would do is this very sort of clever diplomatic language, they would say, you know, our Principles are: you need to be democratic. Haiti isn't democratic, so so Haiti's not not invited. And I think a lot of the same things happen if you look at the the Caricom statements um, about the intervention. They don't, you know, they don't say intervention is a white supremacist bad idea. They say, oh, intervention isn't appropriate without a political solution which is a very diplomatic way of saying, no way we're not going to do it because they know the whole point of the intervention is to support a, an undemocratic government. So they know that, you know, that them saying that means we're not doing the intervention. But they, you know, they are resisting. And I, you know, I don't want to either minimize the extent to which Caribbean countries are under pressure and the, you know, the courage it takes to, to to uh to resist to do the kinds of resistance they've been doing. Um, but I do think that you know they'll they'll find more courage to resist if they think that they that their uh, citizens have their back on this and want them to to, to to have that courage. All right um a few years
2: ago um, Second, ago, Susie, but,
0: um Susie hold on a sec. Yes, there no. might be other students with questions just so, um, so Haiti uh, became a member of CARICOM this second of July two thousand and two. Second of July two thousand and two. My correction. I'm sorry, but seriously, uh, can you give me a second? Does any other student have any questions? We only have seven minutes left. Okay, okay so no. um, And um, hold, it's not. But uh, stick a pin, stick a pin. Any other student have any more any questions for Mr. Um, Brian? no no student no question yes
2: for me um Go ahead. We, we are aware that the us and other international com- communities are interference with the democracy of Haiti, but there isn't there anything in the asian constitution to yes. hold the current leader accountable for refusing the citizens from democracy
0: oh they said ask that question again and please let me see your face very good I love that question i mean, you see, when I get you guys to talk you guys just have some amazing questions you guys think no question is ridiculous bring it on we love it let me see your face Sasha and ask that very poignant question again please
1: sir I just wanted to know if there's anything in the constitution to hold the current leader
0: accountable for
4: refusing the citizens from democracy
5: Oh yes sir
4: yeah, that's a great question. Um, yes, I mean, all of this is unconstitutional, um, but Haiti's constitution is completely ignored. I mean, you literally have in the constitution, forgot how many, but it's several thousand elected officials, lots of local elected officials, uh, two houses of parliament, a senate, and a, a, a house of deputies, and a president. And then you have a um, a specific process for choosing a prime minister and and ministers, none of that is constitutional. There's not a single elected official in office. Every single minister was, was appointed in a way not recognized by the government, not recognized by the Constitution. The eight of the nine Supreme Court justices were appointed by a process that is not recognized in the Constitution. So, it's basically the Page constitution has been thrown out. Um, I, you know, I, I, our colleagues at my, 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 my colleague, Mario Joseph, and, and his team at, at this, it's called the International Lawyers Office or BAI. Um, it's, a, it's a law firm, a public interest law firm in Port-au-Prince. In um, they, in better times, when things, when things were working better, they would file a lawsuit against the, against the prime minister for his illegal acts. Now they just know it. there's no way anything good is going to happen. It's not going to go forward. Um, what we're doing to hold people accountable is there is an organization called the, the uh, Haitian Observatory for Crimes Against Humanity, and they've been working on reports and collecting evidence so that at some point when Haiti's democracy does come back, we are going to be able to do things to hold people accountable. Um, there was a report put out now, it's two years ago, by the, the Haitian Observatory, along with um, a law school in the United States, Harvard Law School, that talked about that what the government was doing, especially attacks. So the government has been working with gangs to do these attacks, very murderous attacks on neighborhoods that support the opposition. Um, the 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 report by the Haitian Observatory and Harvard Law School concluded that those were crimes against humanity, and so we're doing the legal analysis and collecting the facts so that at some point that um, you know when to Susie's uh, uh, phrase when Haiti is singing the song of freedom, then we'll be able to to have some kind of accountability. But right now, there's just no chance,
1: unfortunately. Sorry, your mic is
0: muted. Thank you so much, Sasha, for that. Thank you. I was, but you know, one of the things that we're hoping for is that we could use this to, in a sense, drive some fear into Ariel. You know, let him know that listen, Ariel, if you, if we can file a lawsuit after this and pressure the international human rights advocacy group, because if I mean, this is quite interesting. They have a constitution; it's not being followed. Um. So right now, I did stand, and he's supposed to be steering the, con- the the country, but that's not what's happening. It's quite interesting. Any more question? Any more question? We have two minutes
1: before we wrap up. Any more question?
2: All right. So the last, the last question. Then. Go ahead. Um, it 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 relates to the um, restitution. You know, because um, I remember a few years ago, there there was a group, I don't know if it is the Rastafarians who were um, trying to sanction um, restitution from um, the British on behalf of um, Jamaica. But then I don't know how many um, international um, help we had where that is concerned. So, um, yourself, Mr. Kancunan, and um your other colleagues who are fighting on behalf of eighty, you know, I'm just wishing you all the best where that is concerned, and just hoping that um whatever they get, you know could go toward the cause of just elevating themselves back to the position where they were. It's gonna take time because um. AT has um, economy to build, infrastructure to build, everything to go back to the place where it was. So I'm just wishing you all the best and just hoping that others will come on board who is influential enough to make the cry louder on their
4: behalf. Okay. Well, thank you, Susie. And that's actually an, an, an update that I forgot to give about one of the things that happened at this people forum, the Permanent Forum on People of African Descent that I that I went to in New York with my colleague Mario. One of the meetings we went to was a meeting of of about Caribbean efforts efforts within the Caribbean to get reparations. And uh, it was actually really exciting hearing what was going on. There were some, you know, there were some government officials. There were, uh, you know, professors. There were activists. It was a really interesting panel and 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 exciting about what's happened. So the the there is Caricom has a reparations commission. And they put out a ten-point plan that is really forward-thinking. I mean, it's probably you know the most advanced um, effort to get reparations by any group of countries, um, and it really is kind of applying pressure on the international community to to uh, you know to take this claim seriously. And you know, one of the things they said there was a uh, the, the, you know some of the speakers. were they were they were trying to explain that we should be hopeful about this and they talked about a lot of things that had happened lately um and and one of them was that you know the church of england in england has not how much they gave but they just they acknowledged that they needed to pay reparations and they they gave i think it was maybe 500 million dollars which they said was not enough but it was a start Um, you've also in the united states you've had several universities Uh, including Ronaldo, Georgetown, where, where, where both of us have studied, uh, you know, that have acknowledged that part of their, you know, that they built, built their, their institution on the backs of slavery and they're taking um, they're taking actions to, to, uh, to pay some kind of reparations. Uh, And there's a bunch of other things happening. So there really is some progress and I think there is good reason to be hopeful. Um, You know, there needs to be a lot more work and, 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 uh, you know, we need to keep fighting, but but it, you know, I think it's exciting that, that you know everybody in the in the in that in that session. So my colleague Mario was the only Haitian there, but everybody else who spoke talked about Haiti, you know, as being kind of central to how Caribbean leaders felt the reparations case was based on. Um, and so you know, I think that there are and and afterwards Mario spoke with lots of people and exchanged a lot of business cards and and there was a lot of good ideas back and forth. So I'm looking forward to, to that bearing fruit and to having continued collaboration among people from you know, Jamaica and Dominica and uh, there people from Trinidad. So sort of all over the CARICOM countries with their brothers and sisters in Haiti.
0: This is powerful. Thank you so much. Thank you. And Brian, um, any update on um, uh, IJDH, the next steps, what's going on with the Institute for Justice and Democracy in Haiti? Um,
4: You know, we're still trying to push the international community to respect democracy, justice in Haiti. Uh, Nothing big. Well, for people who want to know an update, we just put out a big report last week. Every six months, we put out a human rights report uh, that explains what's happened in the last six months in Haiti. Um, And so that's if anybody's looking for more details about what's going on in Haiti, go to our website, which is www.ijdh.org. And there and and you can find all the reports, including the one that just came out on that site.
0: Thank you so much. And I just actually went on your website and I saw the interview that we did some time ago. I was like, oh. There it is. We are there. We are live. That was powerful, and we are going to put this one out. This is going to be available. You know what was quite powerful was what one of the students said to me. Uh, Su- sorry, what Susie? What Susie said earlier about you know you don't know what's going on in Haiti when you're in Jamaica and some of these Caribbean. It's as if you don't know what's going on in the other Caribbean countries. In fact, especially in Jamaica, when you when I lived in Jamaica, even I mean, and you would read Gleaner hate will be at the back page or the Caribbean page, but still nothing, nothing is really known. You know, you think about, you know, the only integration that we have is with the CARICOM or the governments just talk at various meetings and wear their suit and tie, which is the hallmark of their, what Homi Baba in the location of culture talks about, you know, this guilty of swaying towards this Britishness, this Englishness, this, this privilege kind of a, but I believe as citizens and you, I mean, Suji, you came to this course, you guys have a responsibility as well to share this. Now you have an academic education and you have a, you come to this academic institution. Now you get to go to your communities and talk about have the discussion. The discussions here are important because, you know, I said to you, um, Haiti provides a case study, a case study of how countries continue to maintain advantage and we are all together in the fight. So, Um, Please go to www.ijdh.org, share this video and the other videos that we have. I'm going to be writing an article about this as well. I'm going to be turning the transcript into an article. You guys will get a copy of it and share it and talk amongst your friends, talk amongst your churches in the schools, the student groups, have these discussions that uh, we have a petition going to change.org. It's free. Uh, They're asking you to give. You don't have to give to, um, you can just but they might ask you to create an account but it's still free you can vote and um people are, are, are signing and so on so that's good some of you have paper forms that where people can sign if you have that you can do that as well but let's get the conversation going and let's continue the discussion this is powerful and this is this is great thank you brian you have the last words
4: okay well i just you know like to thank you all for learning about Haiti and for thinking so critically about some of these issues. I really, as I did before, I really enjoyed my time with you and uh, you know, look yes. forward to, to more discussions. Yeah, man, we
0: definitely. About- yes, and um, I didn't know you published uh, every six months. So every six months, when you, pub- when you do this publication, I will read it and then we will have a podcast and talk about it. <laughs> but thank you so much. And we have somebody who's gonna give the vote of thanks today, the head of the class, Dane. Sorry, the, the leader, one of our uh, the student leaders, Dane is here. Dane, you have you will be providing the vote of thanks. Go ahead.
5: Good evening, colleagues. Good evening, Reverend Mackenzie. Good evening, sir. DeFran, Kan Kan Kanon. Is that I hope I got the pronunciation? <laughs> That's <Sorry>. pretty good, Dane. <laughs> eh? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. We want to, on behalf of the class, I want to to pass on our thank you, our heartfelt thank you for. Having spent the time this evening to educate us, to inform us, to connect us with our brothers and sisters in Haiti and the issues there. And we just want to um, wish you and your team and all those who are involved in the fight the great victory that is so well needed. And we are appreciative of the fact that we are now even more stimulated to have the conversation and and take it even further to see what we can do as our families, as, as brothers and sisters here in Jamaica for this fight. So we thank you again for coming and being with us this evening, all right?
4: Well, thank you, Dane, for your kind words. And I really appreciate them, but I'm gonna pass them on to my colleagues in Haiti, and they're gonna really appreciate solidarity from their brothers and sisters in Jamaica. And- good, good, good.
0: That's good. And by the way, um, earlier you talk about, I didn't realize there was a um, restitution um, commission, that Caricom had a restitution commission. It's quite interesting that you would say that. And by, and I don't know, I wrote an article recently, which I just published, and I sent it to the Jacobin magazine. And I said, as, it, as I presented a paper, um, and I'm going to probably provide a quick lecture, read it to the students recently. But between 1835, sorry, 1833, Brian, between 1833, well, um slavery was abolished in the it was a well, slave sorry they iman the slavery was abolished in the west indies in the english commonwealth in eighteen thirty three but it wasn't until eighteen sixty five that the emancipation the emancipation proclamation was, re- was announced to the caribbean people before they realized that they were so they were they worked the plantation from eighteen thirty three to 1865 as freed men but they were free and they didn't know it they didn't know that they were free so then it goes so I asked the question is there rest uh, we should also include this the issue of restitution because this is you're working as freed men so this is't this is I, I had I'm developing an argument and an article and research around that but then I heard about this issue so this is quite interesting well we would yeah, man. Thank you so much. We will take a break and then we will come back at uh, 8.15 Jamaican time, 9.15 my time. So we take a five minute. In fact, we take a 10 minute break. Thank you so much, Brian. Guys, we take a 10 minute break and then we come back at 9.20. Okay. I will know. Okay, you guys couldn't tell me that the recording was paused. Welcome back to the class. Um, just before we we ended, I was saying to the students that the way we ended the presentation with Mr. Concanen, Mr. Brian Concanen, was quite interesting because it provided a great opening and segue into my next presentation, which is the final presentation for tonight. Before we close class, and then for, before we close cl- end class for tonight. Um, because we ended by talking about the issue of reparation and we learned that the Car- CARICOM has a reparation commission. And I, the presentation that we, we ended the last class by just introducing this particular essay in, that I have written entitled Unpaid Freedom, unveiling the unsettling legacy of West Indian slavery, which is available in the neoliberal Post. In the essay, I begin by saying, the abolition of slavery in the West Indies in 1833 marked a significant milestone in the fight against human bondage. However, the news of emancipation did not reach the enslaved population until 1865, leaving them to toil as free laborers for over three decades without compensation. The essay delves into the profound injustice endured by these individuals and exactly the question of why their emancipation went unrecognized for so long. Furthermore, it explores the implications of this delayed freedom, the potential for lost wages, and forced labor, and the need for compensation and remuneration for their toil. Let's begin by looking at the historical context. Between 1833 and 1865, blacks working as slaves on plantations in the West Indies were technically freed.
1: In fact, remove the technicality, they were free. They were free based on the Abolishment of slavery, It was passed in the British Commonwealth
0: in 1833, but they were unaware of their emancipation for over 32 years. This startling revelation raises crucial questions about the responsibility of plantation owners, the government, and the dominant class in compensating these individuals for their labor during this extended period. While the insurance claims made by plantation owners against the loss of property due to the abolition of slavery were honored, the compensation owed owed to the workers themselves was neglected. Let's look at the compensation for lost wages. In fact, in an article entitled Unmasking Slavery's Profiteers, published in the Jamaica Gleaners editorial on Sunday, August 4, 2023, Oh wow, this is incorrect. Where is this coming from? This is absolutely incorrect. Um this is 2022. Historians Varine Shepherd, Ahmad Reed, Dave Dunkley, and Dave Goss, guest columnists, argued and provided evidence of the estimated dollar amount of insurance claims and compensation received by enslavers in the Commonwealth. However, their research did not uncover any compensation to the freed slaves, according to the editorial. One, the exploitation of enslaved Africans and the the transatlantic slave trade played a crucial role in Britain's rise as an industrial superpower. And he talked about that, uh, Mr. Conkinen talked about that again. The Exportation of Enslaved Africans. And this is based on the article. This is based on the editorial. And the editorial referenced, um, referenced Eric Williams, the late prime minister of Trinidad and Tobago, who published Capitalism and Slavery in 1944. In that, in that book, or in that, um, in that publication, he argued that the transatlantic trade in African and plantation slavery provided the impetus for Britain's industrial advancement. I know you're hearing that Georgetown University and even the Church of England is coming out saying that, is coming out saying that, and, and admitting that they got that, where they are today, they got rich off of the black, the sorry, the backs of slaves. The second thing is that the wealth generated from slavery was invested and reinvested in various sectors of British society, including railroads, shipbuilding, insurance, the finance, the financial sector, the arts, and shopkeeping. Thirdly. The decision to abolish slavery in 1833 had a significant financial impact on those who had invested capital in slavery and the plantation system. To soften the blow, the British government provided a 20 20 million pounds bailout to enslavers, representing 40% of British public expenditure at the time. Fourthly, the compensation claims which were filed by enslavers To receive compensation for the loss of enslaved people, provide valuable data for understanding the ownership of enslaved people during the transition from slavery to freedom. Fifth, the compensation records reveal that more than half of the 20 million pounds paid in compensation stayed in Britain and was reinvested in various sectors such as the financial sector, railroads, and cultural institutions. Sixth, While many enslavers were absentees living in Britain, Jamaica had a significant population of resident enslavers who also filed claims and received substantial compensation in Jamaica. And seventh, preliminary findings show that 16,114 claims were filed for enslaved people in Jamaica with the majority filed by resident enslavers. Resident enslavers, the total compensation received by resident enslavers amounted to 4.10 million pounds. So there were Jamaicans, Jamaicans who were of the elite, of the who were who represented the plantocracy, who were who enslaved, who had slaves, who, when they freed their slaves, they filed and got money. If, now the question is though, the question is, if the plantoc- or the argument is now. If the plantocracy and the enslavers received compensation for their loss of property, it stands to reason that the workers who toiled on the the plantations during the period of delayed emancipation should be entitled to compensation for their loss of wages and forced labor. Again, if the plantocracy and the enslavers received compensation for their loss of property, it stands to reason that the workers who toiled on the plantations during this period of delayed emancipation should be entitled to compensation for their loss of wages and forced labor. The legal and moral obligation to acknowledge their unpaid labor and to to acknowledge their unpaid labor and provide restitution is a matter of social justice, is a matter of social justice. The intergenerational impact on this injustice cannot be ignored as the descendants of these freed slaves also suffered economically as a result. The delayed transmission of news regarding emancipation begs the question, why did it take so long for the slaves liberation to be known? It is possible that the dominant class consisting of the plantocracy, crown and the government, deliberately withheld this information to mitigate potential losses and adequately prepare for the transition from slave labor to alternative forms of exploitation. The decision to end slavery necessitated a carefully orchestrated process, which included the establishment of indentured labor systems using bonded servants from China and India. This transformation from shattled slavery to indentured servitude reduced the plantation, or from slavery to indentured servitude, reduced the plantation owner's responsibility to provide for the welfare of the workers, ultimately resulting in lower labor costs. Now, let's look at post-emancipation economic realities. With the advent of automation and scientific advancement in production, slavery was no longer the most profitable labor system. The plantocracy gradually transitioned from slave labor to indentured and then shattering wage labor, benefiting economically from these, from these changes. However, the formerly enslaved individuals never experienced economic recovery they left the plantations without any form of compensation, benefits or remuneration with their fear disregarded by the dominant class. The long-term, economic ramifi- the long-term economic ramifications of this system or systemic neglect continue to be felt by their descendants perpetuating cycles of poverty and inequality. In closing, the delayed emancipation and subsequent denial of compensation for over three decades of free labor, endured by the West Indian slaves, reveal a dark chapter in history that demands redress. The legacy of slavery continues to shape social and economic disparities in the region, with the descendants of the formerly enslaved still grappling with the aftermath of unpaid toil and systemic neglect. Recognizing the historical injustice and advocating for compensation and remuneration for the affected individuals and their descendants, is not only a matter of restitution, but also a step towards rectifying the enduring imbalances rooted in West Indian history. It is time to confront this painful past and forge a path forward for a more just and equitable future for all. And that is the end. Now, by the way, um, there's something I need to correct.
1: Uh,
0: um, I need to make a correction. I just noticed um, a major error, which uh, I will correct now uh, real quickly. Any questions before we wrap up, we will end right now. But if you have any questions, uh, I'm gonna tell you. What, What? There we go. August 4, 2013. August 4, 2013, I am going to correct that. Oh my god, that was a major error. August 4, 2013, that was um, 2013. There we go, and I can save that. August 4, 2013, and I also need to make several corrections elsewhere. But that's it for class today, guys. Any questions? Before we wrap up?
2: Yes, sir. What was the assignment?
0: The assignment was to do an interaction paper in um, of the presentations of today, of Mr. Kahnkehner's presentation regarding um, the issue on um, independence and democracy. Um, independent, can these be put in the WhatsApp group, please? Yes, um, we will put this in the group and I'll send out the lecture, but um, just re- so your job is to review today's lecture, especially. The presentation by Mr. Containan and some of the questions and consideration, and to um, just do, a, do an interaction. What jumps out to you? What were some of the takeaways? Um, what, um, what can you do as a Jamaican to continue to preserve uh, What did you learn? What did you learn?: about? Be a
2: graded paper, sir.: Sorry.: This going to be a graded assignment.
0: Oh yes, this one will be graded. This will be great. This one will be graded. This is the interaction paper. I said you can take any slant you want to take. Okay. As you really, I want you to interact with today's presentation on Haiti based on the presentation of Mr. Conkainen. What? Okay. And you can develop your own slant. But what did you learn? That, and say, for example, that some of Suji's, Suji, if Suji, Suji could have put that into a reflection based on the question, but that was really Sasha K talking about the, the issue of the rule of law and constitution and responsibility and accountability. Okay, does that? say? So this is quite powerful and, and how we responded and you could do external research and so but interact with the presentation. What did you learn? What jumps out? Um, what did you agree with? What did you not agree with? Um, what are some of the challenges and concerns? Uh, the challenges in terms of what can we do as the Caribbean people or what it is that hold us back? See, for example, should you talk about the issue of dependency or dependency? And the fact that in one moment he talked about the issue about um jamaica um, jamaica being threatened by the us a, a travel ban being put out um we, offer, we want we make money through foreign exchange we need for we need we need people to come here in order to make the foreign exchange we talk about talk about our work borders around tourism if we're heavily rel- if we if we make most of our money come from tourism that's a problem okay because we're, if we get people come from certain places then they can issue travel ban that affect our ability to earn foreign exchange. So it's as if we are locked in, we have to do what, they, what those people from the global north say because most of our foreign dollars come from their citizens coming to Jamaica. How does that speak to our ability or inability to do anything? How does that speak? Does that speak to our independence? You notice how I'm already giving you on, uh, I'm already interacting with it. I'm already, you know, you do, that speaks to the issue, and then of course the letters I was sent to you with John, I read earlier talk about John Maxwell, and how how the Caribbean was seen as, as as in the letter how in 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 2004 or 2003, how the Caribbean was seen, Jamaica and the Caribbean, um, Trinidad and so on, how they were seen by John Maxwell and and those who were involved in the discussion that understood what was going on at the time were saying. Jamaicans were were seen as cowardice on the issue of of standing up against global power for the Haitians in terms of restoring democracy. We talk about, look what happened in Haiti, where after the death of of, of, of the president, sorry, the assassination of the president, there was a government in place, but he was pushed aside by people who outside of Haiti. He was pushed aside by people outside of Haiti. And, and Ariel, um, Ariel was the de facto government, the de facto prime minister, was, was installed by somebody outside of Haiti. What you know how that speaks to the why the issues. And we talk about earlier, we talk about the issue of bureaucracy. And whole, when we look at the United Nations and the Security Council and who comprises the Security Council. And then you might ask, I mean, can we do, can Jamaican small states like Jamaica and Haiti, can we do anything outside of a stronger union? In fact, can we, can even as a Caribbean community, can we, what latitude or what power or independence, the authority do we have to pressure to pro- provide any pressure on the international community and to restore democracy when we realize when when we when we see who we're going up against, the United Nations security and who they comprise the security council and so on. Can what is the and if we can do anything, what will that look like? And that's when you you talk, you start reading, you start reading books like Neighborhood sir? Yes.
3: Yes, sir, just before you go.
0: Um, Wait, wait, hold on. That's when you start reading books like Neighborhood Organizing in America by Robert Fisher. Let the people decide. Or you might want to read, um, where is that book that I read? I saw earlier. The Poor Poor People's Movement. Where is it? Can't find it. Send me around. Poor People's Movement. Who wrote that book? Uh, I just picked it up earlier. Uh, Here we go. Poor People's Movement by Francis Fox Piven and Richard A. Cloward. Poor People's Movement. But these books are very important because... He talks about the issue of he's a private individual. One of the ways that we is, is private interests lobbying the government. If, say, for example, if we work, work with private individuals, work with local work, bring awareness, let the citizens know what's going on in these countries. Let, let, you know, that's one of the ways, fine, maybe as a government within these countries have who work with certain private interests, but we might be able to appeal to the populace in these countries and to the diaspora in these countries we might be able to make certain appeals and negotiations and so on it it requires tremendous strategy it it, it requires tremendous cooperation it it requires tremendous thinking okay which is something that are we willing to do but then you got to talk about the caribbean as a whole and how each of these caribbean countries are suffering from dependency and lack and so as a result, they are so concerned. They are so insulated. We are so concerned with our own development of growth and growth, which is maybe quite strategic. One of the ways we can weaken the Caribbean community is help to develop and make them so dependent so that, and, so, and lacking in certain things that they are more concerned about what's going on in their own country than what's going on in the other part of the Caribbean, which you talk about divide and conquer, which prevents any kind of organization and coming together that can mitigate. Yes, Sashana, and um, and yeah, Sashana, go ahead.
3: Sir, I was just asking you—you you were before you started to talk—you were mentioning about the assignment. Yeah. I was asking if the detail of the assignment can be sent via email or in the WhatsApp
0: group. Oh sure, right. yes, okay, I'll send that.
3: What is it that um, is required of us so that we can we can get it done? Also, for the group for the group um, presentation, could you outline what is required?
0: Um, as well, so it's, uh,
3: that we can start working on that as well because we don't want to wait until the last. You are to
0: identify. You are to your group. Each group is to cho- go on the syllabus and choose one of the questions on the syllabus and and um and do an essay paper 25 page essay paper um, the question
3: is on the syllabus i don't recall the question
0: yes. I, I'll, I'll look back on it sir so the syllabus um, what... have some questions and um i'm asked you guys can choose one of those i will repeat uh, what i'll do when i send an i send an email out to the whatsapp group and the email just reminding you of the major assignments or what you do really want um is okay. the you will do an exam for this course which is and two, you will do um, a, a group work paper, a group assignment. You can, if it's three or four of you in the group, you can divide it up into groups. Um, See, so if it's 25 pages, each of you do 777, something of the sort. Um, you, one person work on point one, one person working point two, one person working point point two. I think one of the questions says, um, French Fanon talks about the Negro is not any more than the white man. What is he talking about? Um, the, um, explain and develop. Um, so you oh, guys... One, okay. one
3: other thing, sir, because I yes. know you had mentioned that you won't be posting this video right now. And since the assignment that we're going to be writing is on the presentation that Mr. Brian did, Um oh, yes. Yes. can we get that the, the recording?
0: This, okay, this recording will be ready by tomorrow. But there's another recording you, you guys did on Monday, but this one will be done because tomorrow I, my plate is a little bit lighter tomorrow. I know I have one appointment. But I will, I'm going to be, once I'm finished, I'm going to work on your, the class on Monday. And then I'm going to work on the breaking, uh, the interview with John Anthony Castro, who's running for president for the U.S. I will do that. Then I will do this class and that's it. But um, back, okay. back, back, back. So, by tomorrow, this will be All available. Right. But, and um and we are also going, as I just said to you, I'm working on a transcript. Now, The interaction paper, did you get the email I sent? I did a presentation on doing interaction papers, like what to expect. So if you are doing an interaction paper, uh, hold Sorry about that, guys. Um, we have a guest. But, anyways, but what I was talking about, what was I talking about? I completely forgot. Sir, just send us interaction the interaction paper. Yes, I said you were saying something about
3: the
5: interaction paper. But have I you guys gotten the interact?
0: Did you guys get a, a, an email from me about the interaction, how to do and the yes, interaction
5: was Welcome to everyone.
0: Okay, great. So the interaction paper that I sent you a format for how to to format the interaction paper with introduction, blah, 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 point one, interrelate, that, that, that. So it's in a, in a sense, a format. So in terms of what I'm looking for, for the interaction paper. Now, what I told you that I'm not going to hold you down in terms of coming up with uh, a particular topic. You are writing an interaction based on the presentation. So just interact with the presentation today. You can take whatever slant you want to take. You probably could ask a question. You could critique or challenge, but come up with a question or with a, a general theme that speaks to how you plan to interact with Mr. Conkainen's presentation today, uh, okay? And um, you could talk about, maybe you could talk about the issue of hate, you could talk about the issue of curriculum restitution. Sasha K asked a question about um, the issue of constitution and the rule of law. You could come up with, um, say, well, you know, I was intrigued with the whole issue of, I was intrigued by his presentation based on a question I had asked concerning accountability, responsibility, and the rule of law and constitution. And, um, and, and then you can take it from there based on, based on his response, this was what he said and um, what, and then you can take it from there. You can build from that argument in terms of what does that, how does that speak to the issue of democracy? How does that speak to the Caribbean situation in terms of justice and nationhood and so on? Um, so, so you guys, the ball is in your court in terms of how you want to slant it, but utilize the guide I gave you that we emailed, that we, that we emailed you something about how to construct your interaction paper. Um, but I will send out a WhatsApp and an email and you will get this, um, all of this. So you can start working on it, probably not tonight. You can start working on it Thursday. It's not due until next, week. it won't be due, it, this assignment, you won't, this is not due until next week Wednesday. This assignment is not due. So, so you do have to start it right away, but probably some of you might be Should like say for example, I I was listening to the today and look look at that, I have one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven. Well, ten and a half pages of notes. Wow, I could turn this into a interaction paper and submit it. uh, Summarizing everything and playing with. So you could probably do a summary. You could summarize the presentation thematically. Point one, point two, I'll accept that, okay? And, and what jumps the point and, and, what, and, and what, what questions come to mind um, that you want to leave open, but something to pursue. You could, you could summarize the presentation as well. I will explain that. It's an interaction paper. I leave it in your court. You won't be graded heavily in the sense that um, what I'm looking for is your ability to interact with the subject matter. Okay, that's very important. And develop and build and develop your awareness and then your ability to be able to speak freely about these things. That's really good. But so far, I really appreciate the questioning by some of you. Sasha K, what you hit it on the head. I love that question. Suji, powerful. Um, I don't think I had anybody else that asked the question. I think it was just Suzy and Sasha that asked question. But it was. But thank you guys so much. If you guys have questions that burning questions that you had but you never asked them. Send that, um, send it to me. And I will send it to him. And, um, and hey, say, hey, some of the students had some questions that they couldn't ask, but they have these other questions. I send it to him and he, I have, I have his direct phone number and email. He responds, okay? So send that to me. Um, and just so you know, part of your grade comes from your participation. Part of your grade come from your interaction. So in fact, Sasha and Suji already get grade for this paper. They already gave me an interaction paper. The fact that they interacted so well OK, but the other students, I didn't I didn't get anything from you in the class today. So especially you guys need to submit an interaction paper. But Susie and Sasha, you still give me something, but I won't mark you too hard. Probably build on what you have said earlier. Build on the, the question you asked. Yes, yeah, just build on it and just respond. You know, I, you know, earlier in the presentation, it was quite powerful. I asked him, asked Mr. Conkin a question about responsibility and his response. It was quite interesting that he would say X, Y, Z. And whether or not he answered the question you could build on that okay that could be but you already get got a grade for this because i when i mark and i and i send in the email i'm looking at how you your attendance and the participation and engagement with the presentations and it was it was was romaine did romaine ask the question as well yeah romaine as well it was powerful thank you guys i was i was blessed and i was moved by your questions and I was just happy that all of you came to the class and participated and demonstrated some level of interest. I really appreciate that. This was powerful. Um, we will continue to, I will send out all of this material. Don't worry about it. You will get this in a very nice, neat presentation form, format that you can, and then you can start work on it. So you do have to start working on interaction paper until tomorrow. If you can start now, but if, if you want to wait on the video and the, and the other stuff, then you can wait until tomorrow evening. I'll send it out to you guys. Okay. But thank you guys, and I hope God will continue to bless you and keep you and place his hand upon you and surround you with your love, with his love, his mercy, and his kindness. I pray that the beauty of Jesus be seen in you with all splendor and purity. We pray, Lord God, that as you empower us, we may empower others. You know, we say we're weak, but you may consider them little but them talawa. But part of the Taliban has come from you, oh God. Because it is in you that we live and have our being. Yes, you know, we, are the, we, we talk about being a little bit dependent and lack. And having some lack and so on. But Lord, and that we talk about, you know, we, we point to Goliath and David. And how David used them little five stone and knocked on Goliath. That's a powerful story for us to think about as people of the Caribbean who call ourselves people of, the, of faith that has always driven us to success. And so, Lord God, we are relying and depending on you as we help, as, as, we, as we demonstrate our good Samaritan, our Samaritan, or that good Samaritan spirit, to lift up those who need to be lifted up, to be friends with those who need friends, to fight for justice where there is injustice, and to empower us, strengthen us, and keep us and bless us with the resources we need in order to make good on those things that you want for all people. These are not the mercies we ask. Amen. God bless you and keep Amen. and see uh, you guys. Yeah, man. See you guys Monday. But of course, I will send out the emails and to me- and notes for you guys. Take care.
2: Sir, a reminder for you not to have too load of a background music in there.
0: All right, but the last one. Was okay, right? You heard. you have been listening to the last ones.
1: Yeah. Good. Yes, good. sir. Yeah, man. All right.
0: Well, take care. The last one and this one, um, I will. I have lowered the music, so thank you for reminding me. Take care and be yes, safe. Yes, sir. Yeah, man.